don't hear a thing. I couldn't hear anybody singing or anything. I could just hear me. And it didn't sound that good. But um, it is fun. To, I know I'm glad you, you all have a sense of humor and, and that we're all a family here. And, and it's not a show or a presentation. It's, it's worship and glory to God. And we want to always do our very best. But um, yeah, it's very hard to hear when you're right back there. Take your Bibles this evening. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're making our way verse by verse through this wonderful book of the New Testament. I believe it's the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. I believe he wrote the book of Galatians shortly after the Galatian ministry of his first tour. And then on his second missionary journey, he went to the region of Macedonia and established the church in Philippi. Then he went over and established the church in Thessalonica. He went down and visited Berea because he was kicked out of these various towns. And then from Berea, he went out to the ocean, took a boat, and, and, and he took the, the vessel down to Athens, preached in Athens and up on Mars Hill, and had to leave quickly with great, I think, heaviness and despair. And then he ended up in Corinth. While he is in Corinth, his heart is in Thessalonica. He, he desperately wants to be with the church. He's only known them a short time. I've known some of you over 23 years now, some 23 years. We've got a lot of time together, and it's deep, and it's, we're tight, tightly connected. Paul had only been at the Thessalonians a short time, maybe, maybe six months at the most, a short time, just a matter of months. He didn't have time to, to have all the depth of relationship that you and I have. But still, when he was forced to leave, it hurt. You'll find in the text tonight, he uses the phrase, I was orphaned from you. I was ripped away. And it grieved him. So I'm going to start tonight with a word of testimony. And then we're going to get into the text. I was debating and wondering about this, but I thought, I'm going to share it. It's just a quick personal testimony. When I was born again, I was born again through the preaching of the word here at this church, both through Pastor Lapine and through my sister Karen, who loved me and wanted me to come to faith. And you all were, many of you were praying for me before I uh, was born again. And then I came to this church, heard the gospel, I was born again, and um, became the youth pastor rather quickly. And then God called me in 1996 to go to Israel for a year. Now, I came from a background where I was an evolutionist. I thought we all came from monkeys, and, if, and then this is all a big accident, and life has no meaning or purpose, and someday this is all going to be done, so live life to its fullest, enjoy what we have right here, and who cares about the rest? But when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I understood then my salvation, and I, then I understood the beauty of the church that Jesus Christ has called me to love the church. He put that love in me. First John chapter 4, going into chapter 5, says, those who know God have to, have to love one another. We have to love our brothers. If I can't love you, whom I, who I can see right now, then there's no way I can love God. I can say I love God, but I, I don't actually love him unless I truly love you unconditionally. You understand that, right? A lot of people say, I love God, I love God, but they don't love his church. I, I don't understand it. It infuriates me. If you love Christ, you have to love the brotherhood. You have to love the family of God. It's a requirement. John 13, Jesus said in the Last Supper, after he washed the feet of the disciples, he said, this command I give you, a new command I give you, you must love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He, three times in two verses, he tells us we must love one another. God has commanded it. How do we show our love for God? It's great for me to walk around in the lilies and the trees saying, oh, I love God, I love God. It really demonstrates that I love God when I come here and I love you. So let me tell you the story very quickly. I went over to Israel. I got on the plane flying across the Atlantic Ocean, and I thought, as I'm sitting there after one week of orientation, now nine months in Israel where I don't know anybody, and I've been literally ripped away from this church, and I've only known the people in this church for a short time, but I love this church. I love the people, and the church is the people, and I love the people. I was in the airplane flying across the Atlantic, and I was thinking, what have I done? I want to be back at faith. Sure, it's great to be in Israel and the archaeology where Jesus walked where Jesus walked and all of that, but you know what? My heart was here. And man, and I wrote letter after letter after letter back to the church, and I just couldn't wait to get back. And after I completed my coursework, and I had, a, I think, a very vibrant ministry over there with a lot of different families and wonderful times proclaiming and sharing the good news of, of Yeshua, that um, I wanted to come back early. So I went to the leader of our, of our team, and I said, um, you know what, I'm done with everything. I'm, I'm done. I, I'm coming back. I want to go back to faith. I just need to be here. I want to be here. He's like, well, you haven't finished your commitment. Now, remember, I'm a new believer. I've only known you all for a short time, and here I am, ripped away from you. And, and he said, do you know who John Mark is in the Bible? I'm like, no, are you kidding? I don't know John Mark. I know Jesus. That's all. I mean, I didn't know the Bible hardly at all. Well, he said, study everything you know about John Mark. So I went home to my place of dwelling there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and I studied about John Mark. And I, the more I studied John Mark, the more I got mad at my team leader. And I thought, wait a minute. John Mark left the ministry early, and then Paul and Barnabas had a huge contention because, because John Mark didn't finish his, commit, his commitment on the missionary journey. And now they're telling, you know, and I thought, no, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm leaving. So I demanded my passport. I, I said, I'm leaving. I'm done. He said, you leave? You don't get credit for all the, the time you've spent here. You don't get your master's degree. I said, I don't care. Now listen, I did all the coursework, passed everything, knew everything, not in an arrogant way, but I just, I studied and I worked hard. And I forfeited a master's degree so I could come back. And he said, here's what he said to me. He said, your church will not care if you come back two weeks early. And I said, well, I still, I, I want to, now that was me being immature and I think very selfish. But he brought me to the airport, handed me my passport, and then said, hey, do you have any money? And I said, no, I have absolutely nothing. He gave me a couple hundred dollars and he said, there, now at least you can get back to the States. He said, but I'll tell you what. You have grieved me. You've hurt the ministry here in, in this land. And I'm not happy. I'm not pleased. But just like John Mark, I hope someday that you could be useful to me in the ministry. So I came back as a John Mark. And sure enough, I, no sooner did I hit the ground here in the United States when I thought, what did I do? I'm a John Mark. I'm a deserter in the ministry. I'm happy here, but I, you know. And so then I confessed my sin went back to him, wept, and said, I was wrong. I should not have left early. But my love was here. And he understood, and he forgave me, and then he actually has found me useful in ministry. And I've gone back over, and I've taught over there for him, and, done, and, so we, and we have a wonderful relationship. And he has taught me more about Christian ministry than just about anybody, seriously. But the point is this. God put in my heart a love for the church. 
right? not the religious institution, the people. I wanted to be face-to-face with you all. I wanted to be here with you, growing and learning and witnessing and proclaiming the gospel. And, and I would have moved heaven and earth if I could to get back. And I literally did. I, I forsook a master's degree. He tried to give it back to me. He said, okay, I see your love for the church and I'll give you your master's degree. And you know what? I said, I can't take it because I deserted you in the ministry. So I confessed my sin, made it right. But here's the thing. Do you love the church? Do you love the body of believers? Not going to church like a one-hour worship service, do your duty and go home and then you wait until the next week and do your duty again. I'm talking, this is not a duty. This is a joy to be together. So Paul tonight is going to give us three relationships. His first relationship is with the church. His second one is his enemy, the devil. And the third one is his master, the Lord. So we're going to talk about one another. We're going to talk about the devil. We're going to talk about... The Lord. All right. And I do believe that this word is powerful and it's transformational. And when we read this tonight, it is divine revelation. It is, there is a reason why the Holy Spirit wrote these words and kept them preserved for us so that we would know how to live and how to act in this world. The Holy Spirit tonight is wanting us to reaffirm our love and our commitment one to another. He is also, I believe, urging us, requiring us to resist the devil and his methods And the third thing he's doing is he's causing us tonight to anticipate the coming of Jesus. Three things. Love one another, resist the devil, and anticipate his coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in the text tonight. Help us to understand it and to thrill in it and to love it and to obey it. Help us to understand Paul's heart and his passion for the church. May you be glorified as our faith is strengthened, as our love is deepened one for another, as our resistance and steadfastness against the devil is confirmed. And tonight, as we eagerly anticipate Jesus Christ that is coming, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Thank you for Faith Baptist and our relationship that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the first relationship, love one another. Love, be committed in your love one to another. Hey, our life is built on relationships. And I'll tell you what, most people fail in their endeavors because they can't get along with people. Do you know people that can't get along with people? They are not successful. People in ministry have got to know how to work together, how to get along with one another. Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. He has just talked about the Gentiles who oppose God and fight against the gospel. Verse 17, he's giving a great contrast. But we, but we, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, a ministry team. See, Paul wasn't a lone ranger. He didn't didn't go around blasting his guns in a city and leaving. He He always had a team with him. He was always working together. Paul knew how to work together with one another. Now, I've had to learn that. It didn't come naturally. If I wanted my way and I wanted out of a certain ministry, I could have just said, forget it. I don't care what you say. I'm leaving. Paul wasn't that way. He was a team player. We are on the same team. So he says, but we, brethren, 19 times in these two letters, 19 times he uses the word brethren. What does that mean? Brothers and sisters. We're a family. 19 times he's reminding the Thessalonians, you have one another. This is our spiritual family. This is where we're connected. Our lives rise and fall with one another. If one one hurts, how many of us hurt? All of us. If one rejoices, how many rejoice? All of us do. We're here for a reason. We are connected. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you, and this word, having been taken away from you, is the literal word in the Greek, the phrase, to be orphaned. 
Paul felt when he was forced out of Thessalonica after just a few months that he had been orphaned. He had been ripped apart in his relationship at one time. Um, and you know how, I can't even imagine what it would feel to be an orphan. I mean, I used to joke growing up that I was adopted. And I guess I'm not because I'm so much like my dad. But I used to joke about it. But I've been down in Haiti, and I think, Allison, you were there, when in Haiti uh, a mom will come and drop her kids off at the door or the gate of the, of the orphanage and then and leave and walk away. And the children are bawling and crying, and they want their mommy. And the mom cannot take care of... She has no way or resources to take care of their child, so she gives them to a, a person or a place that will take care of them. Can you imagine how gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching that is? You go home and you're just sobbing, thinking, that's my flesh and blood, and I can't see them. I can't watch them grow up. I can't be at their soccer games, and I can't watch them learn how to read and write. And I mean, can you imagine the pain of, of suffering? Paul says, when I left the church, it was like I, I was just ripped apart from you. This isn't the only church he does that with. Listen, and we don't have a lot of time tonight, so I'm going to have to shorten this up. But in Corinthians, I'm going to give you just the bird's eye view. You know what he says to the Corinthians? He has so many great verses in 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 2 and moving right along the book. But let me give you some of them. Here's what happened. Paul went into Corinth and he established the church. You would think there would be a special relationship between a evangelist like that who becomes their pastor. He fashions the church. He's with them. He leads them. He teaches them. He shows them how to do the Lord's Supper. He shows them how to baptize. He teaches them songs of praise from the Old Testament so they can sing about Yeshua together. And you would think that Corinthian church would love Paul. They don't. There's, there's no greater pain for a pastor than when the church doesn't respond in love to their love. Paul felt that pain at the Corinthians, so he says, listen, he said, I wrote this painful letter, not to cause anguish and grief, although it did, for a good purpose. He goes, but I wrote it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 to demonstrate my love for you. I love you that much. In chapter 7, he says this. He says, my heart is wide open for you. He says this. If you read it this week in 2 Corinthians 7, he says, I am here I will live and die for you. I will live with you. I will die with you. I'm that connected with you. Now, the Corinthians didn't like him. They would trade him out for any pastor coming down the street. They just did not like him. And he's like, I have opened my heart. I am not restricted. You've restricted me. But then he says in chapter 11, I have suffered and persecuted, been beaten with rods, been beaten with stripes, been left in, the, in a shipwreck for a day and a half, for 18 hours or um, a huge period of time. He'd been left in the deep. And then he says this, but upon all of my tribulations, this one thing comes upon me daily, my love for the church. His concern wasn't the bandages on his back. It wasn't being shipwrecked. His concern was, how is the church doing? How is the church doing? Are they spiritually strong? Are they growing in maturity? Have they wavered? Are they falling away? Have they stopped evangelizing? Have they stopped fellowshipping? His concern every single day that he woke up was, how's the church? Now, what's our thought when we wake up? How am I doing? Man, it's my day. It's going to be a great... No, his thought getting up was, how's the church? Who's not here? Who's missing? Who's wandering? He, everything mattered to him about the church because the church is the body of Christ. Now, to the Philippians, he says to the Philippians in chapter 2, I have nobody like-minded that can come and care for your souls. I can't be there, and I have nobody to send to you that is like me with a care for your souls. 
But Timothy is going to come and he'll do it. Then he says, Epaphroditus, who came to Paul from the Philippians, he brought some money and clothing and food to the rented house. And that's why the letter of Philippians is written. And then later on in chapter 2, Paul says this, Epaphroditus has a great desire and a longing for you. The word desire is the most intense, passionate word. And then he says, um, Epaphroditus is distressed that he's not with you. The word distressed in Philippians 2 means to be away from home. You know what it feels like to be away from home? You're just like, I just want to be home. I just got to get home. And that's how Epaphroditus just loved the church. Now, Paul, has Paul ever seen the Colossians? No. When he wrote the book of Colossians, he never saw them face to face. He didn't know the color of their skin. He didn't know their hairdos. He didn't know their speech. He didn't know anything about the Colossians. He just heard about them, and he writes them a whole book of the Bible called Colossians, and he says, I have great agony and conflict in my heart, Colossians chapter 2, that I might see you face to face, because I have not seen you yet. What was Paul's one desire? He just wanted to be face to face with the believers. Church after church after church. He just loved the church. Try to find anybody in America that loves the church like that. That's willing to live and die for the church, for the people of the church. Now, again, I'm not talking a religious institution. I'm talking you and me, the people right here. Every time somebody leaves the church, there is huge pain in the body, in my heart, and then it affects the whole church. It's never pleasant. Nobody ever sits back and says, oh, so-and-so's gone, good riddance. There is never an attitude like that. It's, it's deeply painful and deeply personal. Well, I could go on. Couldn't I? Church after church that Paul said, this is what I, I love you. I care for you. Here's, again, let's keep going. Verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you, we've been orphaned for you for a short time. He's only been gone a little bit. It's not like he was gone 10 years. He, he was there establishing a relationship for some six months, maybe. And maybe he's only been gone two or three months. And already he just wants to be back. Hey, real quick, Bible quiz. How, how long was Paul with the Corinthians? Anybody remember? 18 months with the Corinthians. 18 months, year, okay. Year and a half. How long was he with the Ephesians? Three years. That's a long time to have a lot of meals and a lot of Bible studies. Three years. For the Thessalonians, he's only there a short time. He's like, oh, I just wish I could be back with you. Well, I mean, don't you guys want to join this church? I want to join the Thessalonian church. Man. And so Paul's like, I wish I just had more time with you. Listen, for a short time in presence, they've been separated, not in heart. So even though physically they're not, he's not with, with the Thessalonians, in his heart, he's still with them. For instance, we just had a week of vacation, and it was refreshing, and it was wonderful, and great experiences, but you know what was in my heart the whole time? The burden of the church. You don't, I don't just go on vacation, and all of a sudden I forget what the Borchers look like, or forget about the Nicholsons or the Blevins. It's not like, no way. It's not like I just check out, and, and you guys are a roster, and then I check back in, and boom, there you are in front of me. Man, I carry you. And I'm even like, we heard there was a storm and some power went on. And I was like, oh, I wonder what, and I heard trees went down. And I'm like, well, I wonder if everybody in the church family is okay. I mean, I was concerned about the church physically. I knew spiritually you were in great hands with Jeff and the deacons and um, the other deacons and Pastor Joe. So I knew spiritually you were going to be fine for one week. But seriously, when I go away for one week, even then I'm thinking, how's the church? How's the church? I can't, and I tell, by the end, Melissa's looking at me going, are you ready to go back? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go back, you know, because I want to be here. And, and Paul says, 
I've been ripped away from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart. Then he piles intense word after intense word. I endeavored, we endeavored more eagerly, we endeavored, meaning to put huge effort and labor into it, more eagerly, so that's another intense word, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire, and the word great desire, epithumea, you get like thumea is like thermos, heat, epithumea means great heat, boiling heat. It's like the most passionate word you could use. Paul says, my desire to, meet, to be with you face to face was like the biggest desire burning in my heart. And when I studied this, I was like, I know how he felt. That's how I felt about faith since day one. Literally, since day one, there's just been a burning, intense heat in my heart for the church, for you, the people. I don't care about the building, and I don't care about the futures. I care about you. And it's like, I just can't wait to be back together. We're going to finish service here in about 15, 10 minutes or so. And we're going to have to wait until Wednesday to gather like this again. And then we're going to have to wait another couple days until Sunday. But already, I'm anticipating getting together with you again. I mean, it's not even over yet. And I'm like, oh, I just can't wait to get together again. It's, it's never a time where I'm like, oh boy, do I have to go to church and do I have to preach again? It's like, can you imagine going to church with that type of attitude? I would, it would be horrendous. Paul says, no, I endeavored, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Verse 18, therefore, we wanted to come to you. Paul is not away just for lack of effort and lack of concern. He wants to be there. Can I ask you a question? Why do most people not want to go to church? Because of people, right? Because people hurt us. You know? Let that not be ha- ever happen here, but it will. It will. It does. But people often don't want to come to church because of other people. But the very thing that we're called to do, love people, requires us to be together. It just forces us to reconcile and to build these relationships. Paul says, hey, we wanted to come to you. We're not avoiding you. It's not a lack of concern. It's not because we had something better to do during worship time. No. We were forced out, ripped away. And then he's going to explain why he isn't there. It's like, Paul, just get in a chariot and get up there. Why are you wasting time? Here's what he says. Look at the second relationship. Even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. See, Paul knew that there is an enemy of the church, and the enemy is the devil himself. And you know what the devil can use to destroy a church? He can use people to destroy a church. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of Acts? The church is brand new. Oh, come on. Brand new. Brand spanking new. The hymnals have already been cracked open. and Not that they had hymnals, but you know what I'm saying? It's just that everything is fresh and new, and they're just having fun together. And then Ananias and Sapphira, Satan fills them. He's got to be roaming the streets of Jerusalem saying, look for a church member. I'm looking for a church member. Oh, Ananias and Sapphira. They're an easy prey. He, he gets in them. And he, he causes them to lie to the church, to lie to Peter, thus lying to the church, lying to God. And then they drop dead right there in the whole church service. Ananias first, and then hours later, Sapphira. See, Satan has always been out to destroy the church. And here the word hinder, where Paul says, we've got a second relationship we're dealing with. One relationship, we've got to love one another. Second relationship, we've got an enemy we've got to resist. This word hindered, it's a great word. Thinking of Seth going off into the military, it's a military word. Um, Satan hindered us. It's the word to break up a road. 
Because if an ar- army is coming to conquer, and ar- if an army is coming to do something, when the road is broken up, it stops the army in its tracks. And so Satan literally blew up the roads around the Thessalonian church. Paul couldn't get there. It could have been disease. Paul could have been diseased. Maybe some effects that could have really brought him down. It could have been circumstances. I think what it is, remember when there was a big riot in Thessalonica and then Jason, who was one of the church leaders, he was arrested because they couldn't catch Paul. So um, Jason is in front of the magistrates and he had to pay a sum of money and make a promise, Paul will never come back here. I'll give you money, let me out of jail free, here's my, here's my bail, and we promise Paul won't come back to stir up any more trouble. It was a bail bond type of thing. And he had made a pledge, and I think it would have been like this. It's possible Jason in Acts 17 would have said, if Paul comes back, you can take my life. So now Paul can't go back. It's going to hurt the church, so he has to be off at a distance. Do you see how Satan can hinder the church? Hey, how could, how could Satan hinder this church? Division, strife, lying. Satan's a great counterfeiter, a great disguiser. Satan can use, do you know how many methods Satan has to destroy this church? I, mean, I don't know, but I, he's got dozens, if not many. Do you think Satan is actively involved in destroying our church? Absolutely. Where do you think he would start? Yeah, with me. He would. He, he, if he could take me down, if he could, if he could do something to, that would tempt me or allow me to be, my testimony to be destroyed or something, I mean, he could just destroy this whole church. It is scary. I can tell you, and I've only been a, a minis- uh, in the ministry, and I've only been a believer for 20-some years, but I do believe that um, Satan and his demons have actively, actively been involved to destroy our church. Which means, to me, God is doing something pretty powerful and great, and Satan wants to hinder it. And we're not going to let him win. We will not let him hinder this ministry. Right? We can't. So we commit to resisting the devil. We're not going to put up with his devices and his methods. Well, I wish we could go more into actually what the devil does. Second Corinthians 2. Okay, I'll just preach one. Because I have a list of like eight or nine that I have in the top of my head and I have more on paper. But here's one method that is, that is clearly listed in the scriptures. Second Corinthians chapter 2, by the way, also. Um, it's despair. Despair. Paul says one of Satan's methods is despair. When the church doesn't forgive one another, great despair sets in and it just brings down the whole church. The, the despair that Paul is dealing with in 2 Corinthians, okay, I'll tell you this real quick. Paul, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. It was a painful letter, and it really told them they needed to deal with their sin. Okay, can I take one more step back and tell you a little bit? Okay, here's what happened. Paul heard there was a sinful situation in Corinth, and he loves the people, doesn't he? We just talked about that. He took a ship across, okay, here's the Aegean Sea. My hand is the Aegean Sea. This right here is Ephesus. My, th- my thumb is Ephesus. My pinky over here is Corinth. They're opposite on the Aegean Sea. Paul's over here in Ephesus. He hears about a sinful situation in the church of Corinth, and he, and he knows nobody's dealing with it. So he gets in a ship, and he goes across to Corinth, and I think he deals with the church. He comes to a meeting like this, and he addresses the sinful st- situation. And he wants the church to do something, and they don't. The church does not support him. They turn against him. So he leaves. 
He leaves and he weeps all the way back, I believe. He gets back to Ephesus and he writes this painful letter. He writes this letter and tells the church, you've got to do what's right. You've got to repent of your sin. You must, you must deal with the sin in your church. You must get this right. You have to get this right. It's a very painful letter. Now, he, he sent the letter by, by who? By Titus. Right? Okay, oh, this, is, this gets even better. See, I just love the Bible. This is okay, so Titus has got this letter to Corinth that's going to hopefully correct their behavior and bring them back into fellowship with Paul. But does Paul know what's... You see, it's not instant communication. It's going to take a long time for Titus to go all the way over there because he's not going to take a boat. Titus has to walk all the way around the sea and come over here and get all the way back to meet Paul. It's going to take a super long time. So meanwhile, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, God opens a door to Troas for the gospel. So Paul is here in Ephesus. He's, he wants to find out how the Corinthians are doing. And up here in Troas... God opens the door for the gospel. Paul goes up there, he preaches the gospel, and it's literally like people are lined up to get saved. Would you like that kind of experience? People are lined up at the door saying, I want to know Jesus, I want to know Jesus. But you know what? Paul cannot even keep doing that great ministry because he's of great despair. What does he care about? What, he's preaching the gospel. He really cares about the Corinthians, and he cares about Titus. He wants to know, what is Titus's report? So he leaves a fruitful ministry that God opened up and he starts walking around, around the sea, which is gigantic, by the way. Look on a map. And as he's walking, he goes to every town. Is Titus here? Is Titus here? Is Titus here? No Titus. He gets all the way to the top. Where's Titus? How are the Corinthians? Do they, have they responded to me? Are they going to deal with sin? Will they be spiritually fruitful? And then he sees a, a man walking down the road and who is it? Titus. And what does Titus say? Good news. It worked. See, isn't that cool? That's what this is all about. So, one of Satan's tools is just despair. Despair. Despondency and then nobody there to help and to support. No forgiveness, no grace. And it, it, it can just ruin a church. It can destroy. And Paul was just, at, he just couldn't almost go on because he was so discouraged. And then he even says in 2 Corinthians 2, this is one of Satan's methods of, of destruction in the church. It's a hindrance. Well, let's move on to our last relationship. I love, this is my favorite part, verse 19 and 20. For Paul, okay, so Paul dealt with his love for the church. He dealt with Satan's hindrances, but now he's going to talk about Jesus coming. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? You know what I think I would say? I would say my hope is getting lots of rewards at the Bema seat. I want lots of rewards. What is my joy? It's when Jesus looks at me and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And what is my crown of rejoicing? When God rewards me with crown after crown. I mean, that's so self-centered, and it's ridiculous to even say it. It is so man-centered, right? Paul says, no, my hope, my joy, my crown of rejoicing, it's not me in my ministry. It's you people. It's you people standing in the presence of Jesus that is coming. Look at the rest of the verse. Is it not even you? You know what Paul's hope and his greatest joy and his crown of rejoicing is? It's not in his fruitful work for Jesus. It's in watching the church grow and someday stand before Jesus. That is coming. When Jesus comes in the rapture, we're going to get caught up. And I think, I always just get scared of this when I've, Couple, couple years ago, last week maybe, um, I used to think, oh, I'm going to get raptured and there's going to be millions of believers and I'm going to be all alone. I'm not going to know anybody and I'm going to be like, oh, what do I do next? Where do I go? You know, I've always been that way. 
go to school, and it's like, where do you go? Where's the drinking fountain? Where are the bathrooms? I mean, I'm just such a shy child and a, and a great introvert. And I always think, I'm going to be up there with this mass of humanity, and I'm going to be like, wow, what do I do next? Who's going to tell me what to do? No, it's going to be like this, I think. When the, when the rapture takes place, all of the Thessalonians are going to be gathered together. Because Paul says, my joy, my hope, my crown of rejoicing is, is you all in the presence of Jesus at his coming. He's going to say, there they are, the Thessalonians, and they're standing before the Lord radiant. That's what brings Paul great joy, to see the church walking in truth. You know what my greatest joy is going to be? Honestly, as a pastor, my greatest joy is going to be at the rapture. We go up to heaven together, and then we stand before the Lord, and he rewards you. And I want to be standing off to the side, watching all of you in in glorified bodies, getting praise and glory from the Lord. That is, that is, granted, I want that too. But no, I'm not just living for me getting that. I want to stand back and I just want to watch you, the church, get rewarded by Jesus that is coming. That is the most exciting thing. That's why I do it. Listen, this church has been my greatest, greatest source of joy in my, in my entire life, but it has also been the most painful hurting, despairing, hardest, difficult times in my life as well. It all comes together. But the greatest joy is in heaven, watching Jesus with Faith Baptist Church in Hermantown interacting. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be my, the future joy. So is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? At the end of every chapter in this book, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, he always mentions the coming of Jesus. He doesn't want the church to lose sight of anticipating the Lord's return. And then he says this, for you, our our glory and joy. Oh, people, the church should bring us great joy. When we come on a Sunday or a Wednesday, it should be like, don't speed, but it should be like, I'll go one mile over the speed limit just to go there a little quick. It it should be that kind of anticipation. Because someday, we all are going to be caught up in the sky, we're going to go before the reward seat, And Jesus, the righteous judge, is going to hand out rewards to you all. And I'm going to be like, yes, go Faith Baptist. You you served him well here on earth. That's joy. That is glory, and that is joy. See, do you see now the heart of what ministry is all about? That's the kind of heart you need. You need a heart to really love one another, to forgive and to be gracious, and really care for one another. And then resist the devil. Do not give him any inroads in the church. And when he blows up the road in front of us, we get around it. We don't let him stop us. All right? The Lord may direct us in a different manner, but we do not let him stop us. We don't let Satan hinder us. And thirdly, we just look to the sky and we just anticipate his coming. Oh, I'm just praying for the health of Faith Baptist until the day of the rapture. I want this church to be healthy and strong and growing. That is going to be the greatest joy and delight in my life. And really, God has put in my heart a deep love for the church, this church in particular. I mean, it's weird because over the years, different churches will call and say, well, we'd like you to come and, and you could just be the preaching pastor. You don't have to do anything else. And it'd be like, huh. But that's not where my heart is. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a, I mean... I, tr- I want to preach, and I try to preach, but really, the love is right here for me in the church. And I want you to have that love for one another. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this little text 
such a short text, but it reveals Paul's heart of effective ministry. It really comes down to these relationships that we're building. Every time we gather together, another cord is strung in our lives together, and we become bound closely. And when one leaves, boy, it's like an orphan being ripped away. It's like a child being ripped away and made orphan from their parents. Just utterly heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching. It is never easy. So, Father, give us grace and mercy and a great compassion one for another that the world will know that we're your disciples because we have love one for another. And, Father, we want to resist the work of the devil. He is seeking now to blow up this church. He wants to divide and conquer. He wants to ruin our testimony and our effectiveness and our evangelism. We will not let him. We will rely on the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. We will seek to... um, to resist the devil, draw near to you, and, and Father, give us strength and hope for these days. We eagerly look forward to Jesus coming. We cannot wait to see him in the sky. We look forward to the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And then when we're caught up, we'll be together as a church family. We'll look around and we will see radiant faces of joy and it is going to be incredible. And so someday this church will stand before you in your presence. May this church be found faithful and growing and maturing until that day. Use us, Father. Keep us from arrogance, from pride. Keep us from things that will um, break down the church. And give us a heart to build, to build up one another. May Jesus Christ be praised in our life and in this church this week. Bless Bible School, Father, again. Thank you for this incredible ministry, and may it have a far-reaching eternal impact in our community. We praise you and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.